You are now listening to the April 11th broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have Story of Kings, Sermon, and Praying for the Next Generation. First, let's begin with Story of Kings. Hello, Heart and Soul listeners. This is Brian from The Story of the Kings. Last week, we began talking about Abraham and how he lived in Ur, which was the land of the Chaldeans, the greatest city in Mesopotamia. Then he was called by God, who led him to the Palestinian region. God had promised to make a great nation of Abraham's descendants in the land that God would give him. Then came a time when there was a famine in their land. Jacob, Abraham's grandson, led them to Egypt, where there was no lack of food. Today, we'll consider the period from the Israelites coming out of Egypt and entering Canaan up to the age of the judges. Initially, there were only 70 people in Jacob's families that moved to Egypt. Through Joseph, who was second in command in Egypt, they were able to safely settle in Egypt. However, as time passed, the Egyptian kings no longer knew who Joseph was. Eventually, the Israelites became slaves in Egypt and lived under the bondage of slavery for 400 years. God used Moses to lead the Israelites living in slavery out of Egypt. They passed the Red Sea and the desert and were led to the land of Canaan which God had promised. This was where their ancestors lived. The Bible records counted just the men, about 600,000 Israelites, who followed Moses and came out of Egypt. Through God's providence, Israel was freed from slavery. After they experienced God's amazing power, as performed through miracles, Moses went to Mount Sinai and made a covenant with God. The covenant Moses made for the people was that they would keep all of God's laws and that God would be their only God. Let's read Exodus chapter 20, verses 7 and 8. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They answered, We will do everything the Lord has told us to do. We will obey him. Then Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people. He said, This is the blood that puts the covenant into effect. The Lord has made this covenant with you in keeping with all these words. However, during the 40 years of living in the desert, the Israelites disobeyed God and forsook their covenant to follow God's word. They complained bitterly when lacking water to drink and food to eat. They betrayed God and even longed for the time when they were living as slaves in Egypt. God filled their needs and guided them, but they didn't depend on Him only. They trusted only in things they could see with their eyes. No wonder the first generation that left Egypt couldn't enter Canaan, the promised land, and ended up dying in the desert. This even includes Moses and Aaron, who led them out of captivity. Moses pursued by Pharaoh, gathered the Israelites, and they experienced the amazing miracle of the parting of the Jordan River. But Joshua and Caleb, who believed in God's promise, faithfully were the only ones from the first generation to enter the land of Canaan. After ending 400 years of slavery and 40 years in the desert, they had returned to Canaan, which had changed a lot from the past during Abraham's time. The Canaanites were settled there securely, and there were many other people who came from the north fighting for power. The early history of Israel entering Canaan is mostly made up of records of battles to settle in the land. The only weapon Israel had to go against the superior strength and culture of the surrounding nations was their faith in God. Therefore, the battle was not only to take over the land, 
but it was also a spiritual battle, whether to follow God or to follow an idol. That's why it was even more intense. The Israelites believed that they couldn't live apart from God. Under Joshua's lead, they started to seize the land of Canaan. However, they didn't fully follow God's command to get rid of all the Canaanites. They let them live. This mistake became a seed for them to eventually forsake God. Time passed, and Joshua also died. Through leaders of faith, such as Moses and Joshua, Israel left Egypt and entered into the land of their ancestors. Afterwards, the twelve tribes of Israel each received land as an inheritance and lived in tribal alliance. This age was called the Age of Judges. Instead of a leader leading all of Israel, God raised judges as needs arose. The Israelites lived in Canaan under the leading of the judges. The twelve tribes of Israel scattered across the land and lived with mountains and rivers as borders. Gradually, they began forgetting about God. They followed the Canaanites' life and assimilated into their religion. Instead of God's word, they lived according to what they thought was right. Every time Israel offended God, he disciplined them and turned them around, but only to see them sin again. On the outside of the land where the Israelites lived, the surrounding countries raised kings, nations, and military power. Nations such as Egypt, Assyria, Philistine, and Ammon fought big and small battles to gain the upper hand in trade and influence. Therefore, Israel believed that they also needed a king just like the surrounding nations. At this time, God prepared the final judge, Samuel, to start the age of the kings. Samuel ruled Israel well. However, as Samuel aged and became old, he needed a successor. The Israelites argued there wasn't a successor to Samuel as an excuse and asked him to raise a king. Samuel was displeased that they were asking for a person to become a king even though God was their true king. However, God allowed Israel to have a king. Then he told Samuel, You are not the one they have turned their backs on. I am the one they do not want as their king. Then he explained to the people about what to expect from a king and the hidden danger that follows. Even after hearing God's word, the people said they needed a king and asked God to raise a king. Then God told the prophet Samuel to allow it. This takes us up to 1 Samuel chapter 8. Next time, we'll learn about the story of Saul and how he became the first king of Israel. This concludes today's episode of the story of the kings. Thank you for listening and God bless.
Next is a sermon by Pastor David Platt of Radical. Today's topic is, You Are Never Alone. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor David. We're going to start in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And I just want to read this story to you slowly and let it unfold step by step. The Bible says, On that day when evening came, he, he being Jesus, said to them, his disciples, let us go across to the other side. So let's think about the setting here. We're gonna circle three things to get the context. First, let's understand what that day means. Because it had been a strenuous day to say the least. It all started with a tense confrontation with religious leaders who were accusing Jesus of being demon possessed. Then there was some tension with his physical family. Then he started teaching by the Sea of Galilee. And the crowd started coming in droves to the point where he had to get in a boat and go out a little into the water in order to speak to all of them. So they're crammed in on the shore. He's out on a boat speaking to them for hours. He taught all day without a break. So when evening had come, so now we see the setting. He told the disciples who were with him after this long day, He says, we're not going that way, like where all the crowds are by the sea, so let's go that way across to the other side of the lake. So let's go to the other side of the sea. 
Now, a bit of a spoiler alert here. We're about to read about a massive storm at sea. But I just want you to notice at this point that it's Jesus who is leading his disciples into the storm. So sometimes we find ourselves amidst storms because of disobedience to God. And other times we find ourselves amidst storms because of obedience to God. And there are things that we learn about God and ourselves, not from a calm seat on the shore, but from the middle of a raging storm. There are things we need to learn about God and ourselves in the calm, and there are things we need to learn about God and ourselves in the storm. So, leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. So if you picture the scene at dusk, the boat sets sail into the Sea of Galilee. So this is actually a picture of that sea. You'll notice it is surrounded by mountains. It's actually situated 600 feet below sea level, and then it's surrounded by mountains thousands of feet above sea level, making it like a bowl. And the sea spans over 100 square miles. And Matthew and Luke both tell the same story, but Mark is the only one who adds that other boats went out as well. So this story didn't just involve Jesus and his disciples. So they set out on the water and they did not have a Weather Channel app or AccuWeather to tell them anything that was coming. And Mark writes, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Now the word here for windstorm in the Greek can literally be translated hurricane. So this was not a normal storm. This was a fierce storm with hurricane-like winds and the waves were breaking into the boat. So just imagine being on this boat, wooden boat, and seeing these kinds of waves surrounding you. When Matthew tells the story, he says it was a great storm. That's the language he uses. And the words he uses there in the Greek are seismos mega, like storm of seismic mega proportions. So he's using earthquake type language. Mark, Mark is using hurricane type language. And we know this was out of the ordinary because in verse 40, which we're going to read in a minute, we learn that these disciples were afraid. And the word that uses that Jesus uses to describe their fear is a panic-like fear. But keep in mind, at least four of these disciples were fishermen. Like they made their living on the sea, which means they were used to storms. They knew how this sea worked, which is why they were panicking. The waves were crashing into the boat. The boat was filling with water and fishermen knew that is not a good thing. It's usually the experts who know when it's time to panic. You know, it's been said during these days, you can't spell pandemic without panic. And it's a lot of experts in disease control who are most panicked. Like we are surrounded right now by warnings of what could happen next if we don't do this or that. But here, even as serious as this storm is in Mark 4, I don't think that's the main problem that Mark is pointing out. The main problem actually comes in the next verse. Listen to what Mark tells us about Jesus. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. Now, that tells us that Jesus was really tired. I'll be honest, there have been a a few nights over recent days where I haven't slept Uh, just working through the night on different things related to all of this. I used to be able to pull all-nighters when I was in college and keep going. Not anymore. There comes a point when I hit a wall and I am out. I think about a flight I took just a little while back where there was this guy sitting right behind me and by the time I got on the plane, he was already cashed out on the window. And then we landed. Everybody starts getting off. I turn around. Dude is still cashed out. It's like, do we wake him up? Everybody's kind of looking at each other. We're like, I don't know. He looks pretty tired. So Jesus is obviously tired. But here's the problem. Listen to the disciples. Here's Jesus asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, the word there for perishing 
is literally being destroyed. Like we're dying here. We're literally about to die and you're asleep. That is the problem in this story. The disciples were afraid, they're panicking, and it seems like Jesus does not care for them. Now, here's where I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the very first people who ever read this book of Mark. They were Christians in the first century who were facing severe persecution for their faith. Mark, in particular, wrote for a Gentile audience, most of whom were facing risk to their lives for following Jesus. Many of them were afraid or panicking about what the Roman emperor was gonna do next. Things seemed out of control, constantly developing every day, and many of them were tempted to think in the middle of it all, does Jesus even care about us? Like, why is this happening to my family? Why is this happening around me? Where is Jesus right now? Almost like a Psalm 10 like question, why, O oh Lord, do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Where are you? Psalm 44, verse 23, amidst distress, the psalmist cries, awake, why are you sleeping, O oh Lord? Verse 26, rise up, come to our help. You know, there are all kinds of people outside the church who ask during days like this, where is God? But let's be honest, there are times when those of us inside the church wonder, God, what are you doing? Where are you in this? Like, don't you care? Won't you stop this pandemic? Like, we're dying here. You know, it's interesting. The only time in all the Gospels that we're specifically told about Jesus sleeping is right here in the middle of a storm. Apparently, he was not panicked. And the next verse helps us understand why. Verse 39, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. So Jesus wakes up, wipes the sleep from his eyes in the middle of a storm, walks out on the stern and he rebukes the wind. Like rebukes the wind? You rebuke someone not something. Likewise, you speak, say things to someone, not something. But Jesus is talking here to nature like he knows it. And not just like he knows it, but like he has authority over it. Peace, he says, exclamation point. Be still, exclamation point. The original language is two words in the Greek and it's literally like shut your mouth and keep it shut. And it does. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. The word there for calm is megale. It's like a massive calm as placid as a pond that comes over the entire See, just imagine instant, no theatrics, no extravagant effort even. He says two words and all the horsepower of hurricane force winds comes to a halt. He says two words and millions of gallons of water are muzzled just like that. Put yourself in the these disciples' shoes, what is going through your mind right now? And it's at this moment that Jesus turns around to them and he said to them, why are you so afraid? And the word he uses there, I mentioned earlier, is like a panicked fear, a total lack of confidence, like things are out of control. He says, why are you afraid panicking like things are out of control. And he goes on to say, have you still no faith? So this is where in this verse, I want you to see the reality in the story, what God is saying to us right now in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a pandemic and all the panic 
concern, worry that involves. I want you to see, so just let this stick with you. Faith, I'm gonna write it out. Faith is not compatible with anxious fear in this world. Faith is incompatible with anxious fear in this world. Now I wanna clarify how I'm using the word anxious here. Definitions of anxiety, the one we're using based on scripture is carrying concerns in this world like a pack on your back in such a way that we lose perspective on life and or lack trust in God. So faith is incompatible with that kind of fear, with anxious fear in this world. Or maybe another way to put it is, anxious fear in this world is a sign that faith is not operating in our hearts. So if you are experiencing anxiety, like I just defined it in these days, if we are worried about what is gonna happen next, worried about what tomorrow will bring, physically, economically, socially, other ways. If we are prone to panic or worry, like things are out of control, if we feel weighed down in any of these ways, God is calling us in his word right now to faith, to a faith that resists fear like this. God is calling you and me right now to a faith that conquers fear like this. You look throughout scripture, the most common command in the Bible from God to his people is do not fear. So I have a word from God for every man, woman, child in the middle of this pandemic. Do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. For all who have faith in God, you have no reason for anxious fear in this world. You have no reason to fear like this during these days. Now, I intentionally say fear like this, intentionally emphasize anxious fear in this world that's incompatible with faith because of what happens in the next verse. So watch this. So after Jesus says this, what does the Bible say? Verse 41, and they were filled with great, what's the word? They were filled with fear. Like, what's that about? The storm was over. The sea was calm. So why are these guys afraid now? And the word that's used for fear there is different from the word that was used for afraid earlier. The word that was used for afraid or fear earlier was the panicked fear, lack of confidence, like things are out of control. The word that's used for fear here is a word that means reverence or awe in the face of a powerful, intimidating force. And they were filled with great fear like that and said to one another, who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. And that is how Mark ends the story because that is the point of the story. And Mark doesn't end the story with a calm sea. Mark ends the story with a clear realization in the disciples' minds that the one who commands the wind and the waves is standing in the boat with them and they are in awe of him. Like these disciples were Jewish men in a Jewish mindset. There was only one who has power to command the wind and the waves to be still. Like let me read to you straight from Psalm 107, verse 28. Then they cried to the Lord, to God, Yahweh, in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Does that not just sound like a description of what we just read in Mark chapter four? Keeps going on. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord. It's Yahweh, God who did this for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. So in this boat, on that sea, these disciples realized like only the Lord, Yahweh, God, 
can speak and storms be still. Like only God can speak and hush waves. Only God can make the waters quiet. Only God can bring his people to their desired haven. And in this moment on that boat, these disciples realize this man standing in front of us in the boat with us is God. And now they're really afraid. So faith is incompatible with anxious fear in this world, but you know what faith is compatible with? Maybe I would say faith equals, faith equals awe-filled fear of God. That is faith, and that is the point of the story. After all, that is the gospel. Like so for anyone who's listening today who's not a follower of Jesus, this is the message of the entire Bible. We have all sinned against God. Every one of us has turned aside from God's ways to our own ways. We are all separated from God and the effects of that separation are all around us in sickness and disease and suffering and death and we feel that right now. But the good news of the Bible is that God has not left us alone in this world. God has come to us in the person of Jesus. Jesus' name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. God has come to us in the person of Jesus. Jesus has lived a life of no sin among us. Then he died on the cross to pay the price for our sin. Then he rose from the grave in victory over sin and death so that Anyone, anywhere who turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus will be forgiven of all their sin and reconciled to relationship with God, to be with God forever. So I'm gonna invite some of you in a moment to put your trust in Jesus, to experience relationship with God like this today. And then for all who do and for all who have, for all who know Jesus, God with us, like this is the point of Mark chapter four, verses 35 through 41. This is what God is saying to us today, like right now in the middle of this pandemic. Hear the word of God. Now let's be clear on what it's not, what that word is not. There's a lot of temptation for me or anyone to preach this passage and say, the storms you're walking through in life are gonna end soon. But here's the deal, I can't say that. I don't know that. I don't know how long this pandemic will last. I don't know how many people will be affected by it. And far beyond this pandemic, I think about brothers and sisters who are struggling in all sorts of other storms, storms of other sickness, like cancer or disease, storms at home, storms in marriage, storms in your family, storms at work, storms with your finances. And I can't guarantee you that any of those storms, including the one we're in together right now, will end soon. God's word doesn't promise that storms won't come, and God's word doesn't promise that storms may not last for a while. But here's what God's word does promise, and here's what I can guarantee you today, straight from God's word, no matter what wind or waves the world throws at you or me, the God of creation who alone has power to calm the wind and the waves. His name is Jesus and he is right there in the boat with us. His presence and power will never leave us and he will see us through the storm, guaranteed. Through the storm, any storm, including the one we're in right now. So let me make this personal. My brother or sister in Christ, wherever you are sitting, whether you're here in a home in Metro DC, alone or with your family, or you're somewhere else in the country, whether you're listening right now under quarantine in California or New York, or whether you're in Italy or Spain, regardless of where you are, know this, you are not alone. The same Jesus who stilled the Sea of Galilee is the same Jesus who is with you in that room right now. And he guarantees to get you through any storm, as you trust in him. So trust in him, have faith in him. Throw aside all propensity to panic or worry. Look in the boat with you right now. The God of creation is with you and he is not prone to panic or worry. 
<laughs> Isn't that good news? This picture of Jesus asleep in a storm reminds us God never panics. God never worries. You think about it, why do we panic? Why do we worry? I think there's two main reasons. One, we don't know what's gonna happen in the future. We're afraid of what could happen. If we knew everything was gonna be fine, we wouldn't panic or worry. So one, we panic or worry because of our lack of knowledge, what's coming. Or two, we panic or worry because of our lack of power. Like if I come face to face with a lion, then I'm worried and I panic because I know I don't have the power that that lion has. So we panic or worry because we lack knowledge and we lack power. That's why there's panic or worry in this pandemic. We don't know how this virus works. We don't know how to stop it spreading. None of us knows what tomorrow holds. We lack knowledge and we lack power against this virus. No vaccines, no cure. But think about God. He never panics or worries. Why? Because he has all knowledge. He always knows what's coming tomorrow. We said it earlier. He not only knows what's coming tomorrow, he holds tomorrow in his hands. God has all knowledge and God has all power. God has all authority over all things, including the wind and the waves and sickness and death. And the good news of Mark 4, 35 through 41 is that this God with all knowledge and all power is with you. He's with you. Not only is he with you, but he cares for you. And today, God is calling you and me and his word to leave behind anxious fear in this world and to replace it with awe-filled fear of him. How do you have peace in the middle of a pandemic? Through awe-filled fear of the God who will never leave you alone and promises to personally see you and me through the storm. So, will you bow your heads with me? I just want to invite you, wherever you're sitting right now, just to bow your heads with me and just pause for a moment in the quietness of this moment. I want to ask every single person who's listening right now, every single person within the sound of my voice, I want to ask you one primary question. Do you know for sure that if you were to contract this virus and it were to take your life, do you know that you would be with God in heaven when you die? Do you know that for sure? And I think some people when they hear that question think, yeah, I I think so. And you start to think of all the things you've done pretty good person, not done too many bad things. And I just want to encourage you, like that is not where your hope lies and how good you have been. That's the whole point of what we're reading. Hope lies in faith in Jesus. There's nothing good we can do to earn our way to God. We must trust in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. He's made the way to us so If you do not have that eternal security, eternal peace, then I just want to invite you today to put your trust in Jesus, to put your faith in Jesus, to reconcile you to God, that you might know eternal peace with him. I just want to invite you just to pray and say, dear God, I am a sinner. I have sinned against you, and I am separated from you by my sin. But today, I believe that Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sin. And today I put my trust in him. Today I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And I trust in you as the Lord, the God over my life. I want eternity with you starting today. When you call on the Lord, God, on Jesus to save you, he will. He will give you his peace, a peace that passes all understanding and lasts forever. So God, I pray, pray for those who are trusting in you right now in this moment. And I pray for all who have trusted in you. Jesus, we praise you that you're right here in the boat with us. We praise you that we are not alone. Not one of us is alone, that you are with us and that you say to us, do not fear. 
So remove, I pray, remove all anxious fear from hearts and minds, from our hearts and minds, and overwhelm us with awe-filled fear of you. Reverence, awe before you, love for you, and trust in you. In your name we pray, Jesus, in the name of the one who calms the wind and the waves, who stills the storms and brings us through them. In your name we pray. Amen.
why the diva is here is love fast as the ocean mm -hmm. here is love fast as the ocean this here is love fast as the ocean You are now listening to Unity in Christ, the English hour in our broadcast program. You can download the app for Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries by visiting the Google Play Store or the iTunes App Store. You can now listen to this week's or past week's programs on your Android or iPhone. Just search for Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries to find it in the store. If you have any questions, please call us at 602 866-8999 or heartandsoul.org at gmail.com Coming up next is Praying for the Next Generation. Hello, my name is Deborah Choi. I'm the host of this program, Praying for the Next Generation. Today, we'll start praying for the next generation using God's Word with the four steps of prayer in the order of praise, confession, thanksgiving, and intercession. Let's begin with praise. Praise is a time of recognizing, proclaiming, and confessing who God is in His nature and power. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 says, Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. In this scripture, Jesus teaches us to call God our Father. The Greek word for father is pater, which means heavenly father who imparts life, protector, and originator. The scripture reading is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. Let's praise our Heavenly Father with this word and lift up His holy name together. Heavenly Father, we praise you for lavishing upon us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm as a love gift from you. We are amazed by your love for choosing us as your beloved children, even before you laid out plans for this world, so we can have an intimate relationship with you and live holy lives characterized by love, free from sin, and blameless before you. Loving Father, we offer up to you our songs of delight and joy, and magnify your holy name for faithfully 
answering our prayers with amazing wonders and with awe-inspiring displays of power. Amen. In order for us to pray effectively in God's will, we must be clean vessels. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Greek word for confess is homorogeo, which means to speak the same thing, to admit and agree with. Let's agree with God concerning our sin and confess before Him with a repentant heart. Jesus, as we come before you, we remember what you have done on the cross. Abba, Father, you are so merciful and marvelous to forgive all of our sins by the richness of your grace. Creating us a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. Hold us close to you with a willing spirit and understanding heart so we can passionately know and obey your truth. Amen. Psalm 69 verse 30 says, I will praise the name of God with song and magnify Him with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is the time to focus on what God has done. Have you ever wondered what redemption means? The Greek word for redemption is aporudrosis. It means repurchasing what was previously forfeited and lost, a release affected by payment of ransom. Jesus died as a ransom to set us free from sin and released us from captivity and torture. Isn't this amazing? Let's magnify our Lord together with our radical thanksgiving for what Jesus has done on the cross and the treasures of redemption by His precious blood. Heavenly Father, we are covered by your covenant of mercy and love. Jesus, thank you so much for dying on the cross and setting us free from the power of sin. Because of your sacrifice, we are justified, declared free of the guilt of sin, made acceptable to you, and granted eternal life as a gift of your amazing grace through the redemption. Father, we are forever grateful for your complete expression of eternal love for us. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 says, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. This word teaches us that it is God's will for us to pray and intercede on behalf of others. My brothers and sisters, let's unite our hearts and cry out for the next generation. Heavenly Father, we come before you and cry out for the next generation. Fill them with a spirit of wisdom and revelation into the true knowledge of who you are as their good and perfect Father. Open their hearts to know and trust in your unfailing love. Please heal their broken hearts caused by the deep pain of rejection, abandonment, fatherlessness, and orphan lifestyle and deliver them from self-hatred, anger, isolation, and rebellion by the power of your blood and the truth of your living word. Father, save this generation. Raise up spiritual fathers and mothers of faith who will love them unconditionally, 
lead them to salvation and disciple them with your heart and your truth. Raise up spiritual leaders who will show them true godliness through their uncompromising faith and lives of holiness and authenticity. Use them as the voice of truth, righteousness, and wisdom to train and equip this generation. Father, deliver them from sin's power and sin's appeal and fill them with holy desire in their hearts so they will live for your pleasure, shining brightly for your glory as your beloved children. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.
We are now ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week.